Thank you, President Hagan. I just have to make one correction. I graduated in 1997, not 93. I got to get every year back that I can. I had to do the math earlier, and uh, it is just such an honor to be here. And I was talking to uh, my old roommate, uh, Kirby, uh, who preached here yesterday, and I said, that is an example of God's grace, because if you would have seen us 20 years ago as roommates, nobody ever would have thought that that could happen. And um, just thrilled to be here. And um, again, as President Hagen said, I'm so happy that my son Joey's here. He's only 13, and so that gives you five years to get a legit football team for him to come here because we'll get the eligibility going. I want to, um, just everyone from Summit, all my friends and staff and family, if you guys would just stand up for a second. Yeah, love you guys. And uh, I have been the, the lead pastor at Summit Church for almost six years now. It's an 85-year-old congregation uh, doing a church revitalization there, which is a very exciting thing. One of the jokes we have when we talk about our church is that everybody who attends Summit falls into one of two categories. They've either been there for 50 years or 50 minutes. We've got a lot of seniors and a lot of young people that are coming in. And one of the things that I've noticed over these last few years is that there are so many similarities. They really are. I, I talked to Pastor Heidi, our young adult pastor, and I talked to Pastor Howard, our seniors, uh, adult ministry pastor, and I'm like, you guys need to get together and just preach the same messages and do the same discipleship because it is like the similarities are uncanny. There's questions of, should I get married? Should I get married again? Should I buy a house? Should I sell my house? Should we have kids? Should we continue to support our adult kids? There's all, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I mean, it sounds like a joke, but th there's a lot of those like end-of-life questions that are coming up. And for young adults, there's a lot of those beginning-of-life questions. And one thing that I've noticed through just observing and experiencing that over the past few years is that a lot of the childhood worries and insecurities that develop in us, they don't leave us with age or time. Sorry to break the news to you. But it doesn't, whatever insecurity you feel or you're experiencing or is manifesting itself in your life today, it's not going to suddenly go away when you graduate, when you get married, when you get a job, in your career, get a house, have a family. It's only going to magnify. And so I want to speak to you today, and this is a word that God has put on my heart in such a strong way that I believe is very timely for some of you here that are struggling with insecurity or worry that God wants to set you free of that. So he wants to do a work in your life today, not later, not when your circumstances change, not when that, that bucket list box gets checked with, with getting married or having kids or having a job or finishing school or passing a test. He wants to do something in your lives today, regardless of your age, your place in life, how far along you are spiritually he wants to bring about change in our lives. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, familiar verses. Uh, Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the, on, Sermon on the Mount, and he's giving all kinds of instructions and teachings on the kingdom of God. The implication is that he's talking to his disciples, people who are followers, people who we would consider saved. They're, they're Christians. They're already in. This isn't instruction on how to be saved or how to have eternal life, but more Importantly, how to live as a follower of Jesus. And it's a message that is very applicable for us as followers and what he wants to say to us 
about our lives. He's talking about eternity and storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth, having the right perspective about the kingdom of God as we spend the short amount of years, months, and days that we have in this life and to have the proper perspective. Starting uh, Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 25 through verse 34, it says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life or a cubit to your length, your height? Meaning, can you add length to your life? Can you add quality to your life by worrying? These are all rhetorical questions, but I'm sure someone there was like saying, no, I can't. Tell us more. And he's continuing on drawing these parallels and parables and stories and illustrations to drive the point home that we do not need to live in our insecurities and our worries when we're in the kingdom of God, when we are a Christian, we are a follower of Jesus, that he is promising us something more than we could possibly imagine. He continues on, says, Why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? That's a key part. Because we sometimes will read that, oh, you of little faith, as if he is giving a rebuke or a correction, or that can sound like a stern word. But what that really means is like a father talking to his children who knows more than his kids, who has a secret and says, don't have such little faith. I'm giving you the secret to life. Have big faith. Because what I'm telling you is true. I know this. I am God. I created you. Have faith in this life, in this way of life, and following me that I'm telling you because I want you to reach your potential and experience all of these things. Don't get caught up in the worries and the insecurities and focused on yourself and what your needs are in any given moment. But look to God and everything else is going to be taken care of. He said, do not worry, saying, what should we eat, what should we drink, what should we wear, what should I do next semester, who should I date, should I get married, should I study for this or take a nap, how am I going to pay for all this school, what am I going to do when that paper is due? He's saying, don't worry about those things, for the pagans run after all of these things, but your heavenly Father knows what you need. And the payoff verse is this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has trouble, enough trouble of its own. And I love that he isn't saying, your life will not have trouble if you follow me. He's like, guess what? You're going to have a flat tire from time to time. Things are going to go bad. You're going to procrastinate and fall behind on your schoolwork. That's life. But don't worry Do your best, but trust God and get your priorities straight, and he is going to bless you beyond measure, beyond what you deserve, beyond what you can even imagine. I was thinking about this 
Um, well, first of all, let me introduce my family. I forgot to show this. I want to show a picture of my family. My son, Joey, uh, has already been introduced. He's 13. My wife, Jen, we met here at North Central. Our oldest daughter, Jojo, in the back. And then Jada, off to my wife's left. And then our youngest son, Johnny. So it's Joe, Jen, Jojo, Joey, Jada, Johnny. And then the most famous member of our family in the next picture is our dog, Judy. There's our dog, Judy. Some of you know our dog, Judy. She should have her own Instagram page. Very, very special, uh, I was about to say person, but member of our family, Judy. She's an American Standard Poodle. We love her. She is spoiled. My kids, especially my girls, put together and sew clothes for her. They dress her almost every day. When she doesn't have clothes on, she looks at us like, you're gonna what are you going to do, make me walk around naked? Um, through Judy, God did an amazing work in my life. Okay, now, now just to, just, I'll tell you about that in a second, but I, I want to show you a picture of Judy dressed up for Christmas. You can go to the next picture. That's the Mariah, the Mariah Carey album cover. Some of you are too young to remember that, but uh, Judy is a babe. We love her. And she normally is dressed like that. You can take that picture down. That gets a little creepy. I was resistant to getting a dog, and my wife kind of tricked me into getting a dog because when I was younger, my family went through three dogs in about a year where I loved them, they died, they got sick, got a new one, died. I would be in the backyard digging a grave for my dog, like the size of a the size hole you could bury a baby grand piano, and it was like raining, and I'm like the Shawshank Redemption with my arms like, why God, why would my dog? And, and so I said I never wanted to have a dog. And when we got Judy, I was resistant. I told my family, I'm like, I'm not going to take care of her. I'm not going to let her out. You're going to have to feed her. She's not my dog. You guys are going to have to take care of her. But then Judy would start cuddling against me at night and, and calming me when I was nervous and, and just being there for me. But I still outwardly was saying, I don't, I don't really care. It's just a dog. And one particular morning, I got up really early on a Saturday morning. Everyone else in the family was asleep. It was, a, I believe it was in November a couple years ago. Nice, cool morning. The sun was just rising. I had that feeling like, oh, it's Saturday morning. I'm up early. I went downstairs. I got a cup of coffee. And I'm a big podcast listener. Like, I can't go anywhere without earbuds. I couldn't find mine, so I grabbed my daughter's bright pink Hello Kitty earbuds. I put those in. Couldn't find a coffee cup, so I took my wife's pink bedazzled coffee cup. And I grabbed Judy and her leash, and she has a bright pink leather collar, a hot pink leather leash, she was wearing a pink and black polka dot skirt with a bright pink bow in her hair, and her nails were painted by my daughter's bright pink. Okay, and I didn't think anything of this because I live with her. I'm used to this, but I'm just like, it's early. We're going to go for a walk. And we're walking, and it was one of those moments. God likes to use nature and animals and, and things to give us illustrations. As I'm walking, I'm just reflecting, like, what a beautiful day, and I'm thinking about my life. And God began to deal with me about some insecurities in my life about how I can be a people pleaser. And sometimes I'll give in to the pressure that's around me just to make someone feel good when I really don't maybe express what I'm feeling or what's really going on in my heart. That I sometimes struggle with commitment, going way back, back when I was dating and I'd date someone and then break up with them because I got fearful of commitment. How some of those things in relationships and friendships and even just in partnerships with people, that sometimes that can come out even today in my 40s. 
And it was just God, the Holy Spirit was just bringing that to mind. And I was like, I thought I'd be further along in life right now. Like, I thought this stuff just kind of went away with age. I mean, my wife and I, early on in our marriage, we went through almost three years of separation. I went through alcoholism, and I've been sober for almost 20 years, and we had three miscarriages, and we've had adoptions and children and, and ups and downs, and we have a family, and I'm a senior pastor at a church. Like, why am I still dealing with some of these like, childhood insecurities? And I'm even struggling with loving a dog because I have childhood pain about that. So I was resolving, like, you know what? I'm not holding back from Judy anymore. I'm going to let her know how much I love her. And as I'm walking, it was like no sooner, no joke, than I think that, I'm saying that, I'm declaring that. I turn the corner, I'm walking this one-mile loop around our house. Now the sun is just rising, and there's a part of this road where there's no sidewalk, there's no alternative way. And on this road, there are about six pickup trucks and about eight men wearing camouflage, smoking, drinking a mixture of beer and coffee, kind of every other, and it wasn't, it wasn't really clear if they were getting back from something at night or they were getting ready to go to something. And they're out there, and they look like a casting call for Duck Dynasty, okay? And I'm thinking, <laughs> like, there is no worse group of people to walk through than those guys when you have a very fancy poodle who's wearing a dress... And I am, like, completely tethered to it. I thought, I cannot deny this because it's like if you looked at the pink Hello Kitty earbuds I had, it, it connected us with, like, a tether of pink from my ears all the way down to her neck. And I'm like, there's no doubt we're together on this. And I actually had the, I had the like, temptation to, like, do a shoulder roll into the leaves and hide and just let her go. And, like, what's with that dog? I don't know. Who brought her out here? That's silly. And I had all these, these, like, feelings coming up. And it was almost those feelings where, like, you know, maybe you experienced one end of this or the other as a kid where you have that summertime neighborhood best friend. Because you live in the same neighborhood and you're best friends. And then the school year starts and you either reject them or they reject you where it's not the same friendship. And, like, that betrayal feeling or that guilt and shame if you were the one that did that to someone else. I've had all of those like feelings come up or like the feeling of walking past the cool kids table in school and saying, are they going to accept me or reject me? Are they going to make fun of me? Being on one side of that or the other. And I'm walking with Judy. I'm like, what do I do? And in my mind, because I can get along with people, I'm thinking of all these things I can say and I can make a joke and be self-deprecating and all that. But I just felt in that moment, you know what? I'm going to own this moment. I am not going to deny Judy before men. I'm going to walk through there, and I'm not even going to, and I can talk, and I can think on my feet, and I'm like, I'm not even going to talk to these guys. And it was like Judy could sense that, and she would have known if I would have rejected her there. And she started prancing a little bit higher, and her pink nails are clicking against the pavement, and I just walked right, th- and they stopped. They're like mid-smoke, mid-drink, and they just stared at me. And I, I, all I did was just gave a little nod and just like, morning. And they, they didn't even respond. I walked through, got all the way through, and I was thinking, like, are they going to laugh? And it was some kind of a spiritual, like, Jedi mind trick where this is not the dog you're looking for. Like, they just kind of, like, watched me, and then they went back to their conversation. Like, they couldn't even comment on it. And as we, we turned the corner and started going home, I could sense that Judy knew that we had bonded and that I was no longer holding back. But I continued with my conversation with God. 
And part of it went like this. It was like, what was that? Why did all of those feelings come up within me? What are they? And why do I worry about it? It was like a familiar feeling of insecurity. And though it's funny and it's silly, I was like, why am I still dealing with this? Why are there times and when I'm with a person I feel like I may be being taken advantage of and I won't speak the truth in love? Why are there other times I'm worried too much about what people are going to think about me, about how I look, about how I sound, and striving for perfection and comparing myself to other pastors and other ministries? And just, why do I spend any energy or thought on those insecurities and worries? It made me think about these verses where Jesus is speaking and saying, if you will seek first my kingdom, my righteousness, if you will take everything in your life and wrap it all together and not hold back and put it at the foot of the cross and trust in Jesus, he'll begin to heal those parts of your life. That when we trust him completely, when we step out in faith, in times when there are, there's fear and worry mixed together, and we're even doubting God, that's when he reveals himself in such a strong way. One thing, if you are going to take any notes, I suggest you write this down. That your greatest insecurity is God's greatest opportunity. Whatever the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind or to your heart, an insecurity of you in your life is the greatest opportunity for God to do a work in your life. Because you see that difference between your insecurity and God viewing it as an opportunity, we could call that potential of what he wants to do in you and through you. Because our worry and our fear when we hold back from what God is calling us to do, from the healing he wants to do in our lives, from the boldness that he's giving us to step out in faith, when we hold back from that, that worry chokes off our, pot- our, our potential. You know, even the English word worry, we kind of use it lightly where it's like, oh, don't worry about that or no worries. Do you know what worry really means, the etymology of it, where it came from? It means to be choked at your throat with the imagery of a predator, like a wolf grabbing the throat of a rabbit and shaking it. That's what the word worry means. And we can take it lightly and say, no big deal, that's just me. That's not my gift. That's not my strength to step out in that way. And God is saying, if you will believe, if you will trust me, if you'll seek first my kingdom, guess what? All of these other things will be added to you as well. He's like, I know, and you don't, and I love you, you little ones. You have little faith, and I want you to have big faith. Don't live your life being held back, choked off with your potential being left behind. Instead, step out in faith and let your greatest insecurity be God's greatest opportunity to add all of these things to your life. I was thinking um, just this morning and, and talked to President Hagen, um, and I could go on and on about how much I love this man and his wife Karen and their family and just um, getting to meet them when they first came to town and just sensing 
their anointing and that God had prepared them to be here and so happy and joyful about that. And it was at Partners for Progress, and when President Hagen was talking, and he was sharing the story about when he put on his cape, and that earlier that day he went for a, a walk jog and went by a homeless man who was laying on the ground with a blanket. It was like, in one of the most prophetic ways ever, God spoke to me in that moment. And I was reminded of a story. Actually, I had to write about this with my senior thesis here at North Central. It's like one of the only things I remember from this paper on the chaplaincy. But it was the etymology of the word chapel. And you know where we get the word chapel? It's from a story of a man who was a French soldier who was walking one night with his cape and his sword. He was doing his job. He was working for the government. And as he was walking along, there was, he saw a homeless man who was laying on the ground without a blanket or any kind of protection. And he took off his cape and he took his sword and he cut it in half. And he put that half of the cape around the homeless man and he continued on. And thinking about what's going to happen, that he just destroyed government property and he's going to have to explain this. He was a little worried, but he felt so compelled to do that and to, to leverage what he had for someone else. And that night while he was sleeping, he had a dream of revelation where the words of Christ came to him and said, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. And he saw an image of when he did that for that homeless man. It was as if he was doing that for Christ. And that became such a legend, such a powerful moment and story, and such a life-changing moment in that man's life that they took his half of the cape and they put it in a room to keep it safe that then with the translation from those words, the room meaning the, the place of the cape literally means chapel. So when you say you're going to chapel, you really are saying I'm going to the place of the cape that was cut in half for someone who was in need. And I shared that with President Hagen. I just thought that is such a powerful example of what I've seen in your life as a pastor and as a president and someone who cares for the down and out and cares about the future of others. And I want to share that with you, North Central, that I believe with all of my heart that God is preparing this group, this school, for amazing days ahead, beyond your comprehension. And my prayer all morning has been that the Holy Spirit would begin to speak to you about your insecurities and your worries that want to choke off that potential. When we step beyond those insecurities in Christ, it's amazing what we can see ha happen. I had an opportunity to meet with a gentleman a couple years ago, and it was through a contact that I had in the St. Paul Police who was not a believer, but he called me and uh, he said, hey, I've got a friend of mine who needs some help. He needs some pastoral counsel, so I gave him your number. He goes, here's the deal. This guy has started, he's, he started a number of restaurants that have been very successful. He's wealthy. Um, he's highly intelligent. He's got a lot of money, but he's just going through a hard time. Would you meet with him? I'm like, Sure. We had the appointment, and we were going to meet and go and have coffee. And I'm thinking, okay, i got to put my best foot forward. I was feeling a little insecure. I'm thinking he might be asking and deep theological questions, and who knows where this is going to lead. And it's going to be more my style of relational evangelism and kind of befriending him and going from there. Well, we sit down, and we begin to talk. And he's kind of reading me his resume, 
And then he starts talking about how empty and insecure he feels. And God gave me a word for him in that moment that I didn't think would be that profound, but I just said to him, his name was Rich, I said, Rich, I I just get the sense that all of these things that you're talking about in your life, with your marriage and with your kids and with your business and money that are so great, but you're kind of complaining about them, that all of, if all of those things were perfect, you would still be miserable. And he stopped, and he put his coffee down, and he looked at me, and he goes, you're absolutely right. He's like, you know what I just realized? I am lost. And then I'm left with, what do I say to that? And so I'm like, I, I know how you can be found. And I, I'm, I'm waiting for like Kurt Cameron and an evangelism video team to come out. At, I'm like, this is, this is like way too easy. I'm, and he's like, how can I be found? And I'm like, his, his name's Jesus? And he's like, tell me more. And, and, and it, was, it, was so, it was like the fish were jumping in the boat, that kind of, where it threw me off, where I'm like, this, okay, should I make this more difficult? This guy's smart. He's, he's, he's like very successful. And he's like, so Jesus can solve this? And, and we start talking. And he goes, well, what do I need to do? And I explained to him. And he's like, can, we, can I do that right now? And I got a little nervous. I'm like, we can, but the church is just a block away and uh, maybe be more comfortable. And he's like, okay, let's do that. And then as we're walking out and we're crossing the road, I'm like, Rich, you stand here. Because if like, you get hit by a car and die, I'm never going to live this one down. This is like, wait. And so we, we get to the church and we kneel down and I lead him in salvation and putting his trust completely in Jesus. And he, he like looks up and I'm like, what, what do you think? And he goes, I, I, feel, I feel found. And I just, I, he was like, I can't articulate it. I feel like a, like a, a baby that's, that's just brand new. And I go, do you feel born again? And he's like, that's why they call it that. He's like, that, I've always wondered. That's what I feel. I feel born again. You're right. He's like, am I a born again Christian? I'm like, you are. He's like, I get it now. And after he prayed and I gave him some material, he left. And I walked back to the office. I'm like, are you guys playing a prank on me? Did you set this up? Because that was, you won't believe this was, was too easy. But then God began to work in my heart and saying, why aren't you going out and reaching people like Rich who are hungry and desperate and they are a very aware of their emptiness? The greater their success, the more they are aware of how lost they are. And they need someone to tell them, Jesus is your ultimate security. The lost need to hear that. And as believers, we need to hear that. That Jesus Christ is our ultimate security. And whatever insecurity or worry or fear or doubt or struggle that we're going through is his greatest opportunity. I wasn't going to share this, but, and it's going to sound silly, maybe to some of you, but maybe this is just for one person. I think it's for several. I don't know why the Holy Spirit put it on my heart, but I just feel like i got to be obedient and say this. And throughout the night, and even this morning, God just kept giving me an image of some of you walking down the skyway is one of the hardest things you do in your life. Because it's like a mirror at night, and you can't stand looking at your reflection. And that you're so insecure, you can't even stand seeing your own reflection and thinking about your own life. And you wish you could just be invisible. 
And others, that's your favorite thing in the world to do is to walk down that skyway because you can't help but stare at yourself. In both cases, it's an insecurity and Jesus wants to set you free. Wherever you're at in your heart, this isn't a call for salvation, but it's a call to be set free and filled with Jesus because the Holy Spirit is doing a work. I'm going to share this very quickly. But just at a presbyter meeting, I was talking to different pastors, and no less than three pastors at the same meeting shared identical experiences where pastors in their towns who were not Pentecostal, all different kinds of denominations, in prayer began to speak in other tongues, and they didn't know who to talk to, and so they went to that pastor. I mean, this is like all at the same time. I've never seen such an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in different denominations, different ministers. I talked to a spirit-filled Catholic priest just a couple weeks ago. The Holy Spirit is moving right now, and we need to lay down anything that's holding us back and to let our greatest insecurity be God's greatest opportunity in our lives. Would you stand this morning? I'm going to pray, and then the altars will be open and you'll be dismissed. But would you just put your hands out like this as a sign of letting go and also being open to receive? Heavenly Father, God, we seek you first, and we know that you will add all of these things to us as well. And we trust you as our Heavenly Father, as the good Father who's saying, don't have little faith, but trust in me. And God, we give you our weaknesses, our worries, our insecurities, knowing that it's the greatest opportunity for you to do a work in our lives. And I pray in the name of Jesus, you would do that now. In your name I pray, amen. Please come forward to the the altars and just take some time and let God do a work in your life. God bless you.